Father, we ask that you would help us to learn what your light is, what it means to walk in your light. We take this to you. We trust and believe that you will teach us. Because, Lord, you care about us. You do not desire for us to walk about aimlessly in the dark and bumping our noses and feet on everything and lost. But, God, you desire for us to walk in light. So, God, give us this grace, we pray. Amen. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. The one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I, will dwell, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would rather, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And that psalm is so perfect and beautiful in the way that it, it talks about the Lord is my light and my salvation. And so because of this light, I need to go to the Lord. I need to go and talk to him. I need to speak with him. And I need to wait upon him. And when I go in, he says in verse 8, you said, seek my face. And my heart said, your face, Lord, I will seek it all is, it's all leading us towards relationship, leading us towards talking with him, bringing things to him. And after we bring things to him, waiting upon him. Well, we're going to refer back to this psalm in a little while. So flip your Bibles back over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And we'll see what he has for us there. Last week... In the first eight verses of this chapter, we learn about walking in love. It's a very, and a very simple summary would be to keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on his cross. Keep your eyes on his love. His cross is the picture of his love. What, well, does God love me? I don't know. Look at the cross. Yes, he does. 
Don't keep your eyes on your failures. Don't keep your eyes on your struggles. Don't keep your eyes on your success or your blessings. Focus on Jesus. And we learn not to be careful to not let our love become lust. Because Jesus' love is serious, but his wrath is also. And so uh, as epic as his love is, his wrath is just as intense. And so Paul says, don't be partakers in his wrath by doing things that are perversions of love. But just keep your eyes on Jesus. If your eyes are there, you'll imitate his true love. You'll know what his true love is. And we talked about all those specific ways that Paul told us how our love can be corrupted. You see, walking in love keeps us from breaking God's heart and, and living in a place of actually being the object of his wrath, his anger, his brokenhearted revenge on sin. Because the opposite of love is lust. But walking in the light, we're going to learn today, is living the way that Jesus wants us to. It, it gives us clarity. Walking in the light will. Because when you have light, you don't bump into things. A few months ago, I, was, I, I got up in the middle of the night to do something, and I hit my toe on something in the dark. Have you ever done that? Oh... And has that ever been your child that left a toy out? And it's just, oh, if I could curse. No, it would just, oh, man, it makes me so upset. And I take it and I throw it. and It's not good. So walking in the light is going to give us clarity. We'll talk about that. It will give us confidence, saying, I know where I'm going to step. Also, when you're walking in the dark and you come to the stairs, do you ever miscount the stairs? And then you take another step when there's no step, and you're like, oh. I do that all the time. I don't know why I just don't turn on the light when I'm going to check on the kids at night, but it's like challenging myself. Well, we're not supposed to do that spiritually. In the end, walking in the light will give us fruit. It doesn't mean walking in the light. It does not mean that we're going to do everything right all the time. You come to church and sometimes you expect to hear, you need to do the right thing all the time. That's not what walking in the light is. It does not mean keeping all the rules. It does not mean attempting to do your best for God. It does not mean those things. So we're going we're gonna to expound upon that. It means following Jesus. Trusting his grace, his resources for, your, for you to live a godly life. His power at work in your life to bring about Christ-likeness or fruit. It, the opposite of light is darkness. If the opposite of love was lust, and Paul said, stay away from lust, today we learn the opposite of light is darkness, and Paul is going to say, stay away from darkness. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5. Isaiah says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And what was just an exhortation for those people before Jesus came, for us, is a reality. You guys can walk in the light. You can. It is absolutely a possibility. Not only that, it's a provision made for you. It's what you're supposed to be. Ephesians 5.8 is where we start. We're in Ephesians 5. We look at verse 8. It says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
Notice that Paul doesn't say, you were in the darkness, but rather, you were darkness. It's not just, oh, we were in a, a tough situation or we were just confused. There's something different. There's something deeper, a deeper problem. It's, he says, we were darkness, but now we're light. And that's where the problem is. I'm going to ask a question. What's the problem with living by the Ten Commandments? I make a statement. It's, there is a problem with living by the Ten Commandments. Now that's confusing because you expect to come to church and here, here's the Ten Commandments. Here's the list of ten things. If you do them, you're going to be a good person. But there's a big problem with that. What is that problem? What's wrong with the Ten Commandments? Is it bad to not steal? No. Is it bad to honor the Lord on the Sabbath day? No. Are any of the Ten Commandments wrong? Absolutely not. But if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, I'm going to show you some, some very important things to understand for a lover of Jesus, for someone who wants to be free, for someone who wants to experience his light and walk in that light these verses in Hebrews chapter 7 and 8 are so vital for us to understand. Here we see that the Ten Commandments are done, finished, wiped out as a way of relating to God, as a way of walking in your life. God does not want you to hang up the Ten Commandments on your mirror when you wake up in the morning and use them as your guide of how to live today. That is not what they're there for. But that's shocking. Someone might be thinking in your mind, wait a second, this sounds blasphemous. This sounds, what's wrong with them then? Well, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18, it says, For on one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandments. When something is annulled, you guys have heard of a, a marriage getting annulled. That means just saying it's no good anymore. Does not work anymore. It says because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law, the Ten Commandments, those list of rules, they made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So what was wrong with the Ten Commandments? What was wrong with the Old Covenant? What was wrong with the law? What was weak and why was it unprofitable? It says here the main reason is that it made nothing perfect. A list of rules has never, ever, ever, ever changed a person's heart. Ever. It's just a list of rules. It's a standard to reach without the resources to attain it. It's a car without an engine. It's a measuring stick that does not make you grow. It's a list. It's as hard as a rock with no life or mercy or provisions for you to keep it. So the Ten Commandments has a fault. The Ten Commandments has a problem. It's a built-in problem. It's a dilemma that it causes us to realize 
And every man who tries to live by it comes to the same conclusion. And I can watch it as people go through their life. And as they try and they try and they try, you know what they say? It's too hard. It's too hard. I've tried to keep God's law and I can't. And I love Jesus, but I don't understand how to keep his Ten Commandments, how to do this. And they try. And so what happens is they get burned out or they get tired and they give up. They give up. And I wish that that would happen sooner in people's lives. Because when you give up, when you wave the white flag, hint, hint, come out, we are called white flag Calvary. Okay, when you wave the white flag, when you give up, you will find that that's exactly what God wanted. You might be thinking, but these Ten Commandments were given by God. Did God make a mistake? What in the world is going on here? Well, it wasn't a mistake. You see, the Ten Commandments are perfectly designed to do their job. In Romans, Paul says, the Ten Commandments drive us to Christ. They help us get to that point where we say, I can't do this. I need help. And Jesus is like, I know. That's why I'm here to help you. They're perfectly designed to do their job. It was never intended to draw us near to God. Our performance-based relationship, it wasn't intended to be that. To please God, to help us do what's right or to supply our need in our hearts. Flip over to the next chapter, Hebrews chapter 8, and look at verse 6. It says, But now he, speaking of Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry than Moses who brought the Ten Commandments, in us, as he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For in that the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. But because finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. See, the problem with the whole old covenant is us. He says he's going to make a better covenant with better promise, and there was a fault with the old covenant, and the problem is us. So it really wasn't even a problem with the old covenant the old covenant is perfect. It describes a perfect person. It describes God's perfect heart. But the problem is us. We were darkness. The word them in this verse clearly shows that the issue is not that it was wrong, but that we are wrong. It's that we are so flawed that not a single one of us can keep the law. Not a single person has ever kept the law from birth or even done a semi-good job of it. No one. We were the darkness. Remember our verse from Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. See, the law had to go as a way of relating to God because we needed a solution. And the law doesn't provide that solution. We need a fix. We needed to be reborn. We needed a change of heart a change of lineage, a change of family. We needed to change who we were deep down inside in this area, in our heart. We needed a change. And we call out to Jesus in faith 
when we're tired of trying to keep the law, when the law has done its work of like a schoolmaster or a tutor beating us down saying, you can't do this, you lie, you steal, you cheat, you don't love me. The law is great at that, saying you are lame. And Jesus says, but I can fix that. I can fix it. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, we can be made new. We can receive a new life that he showed when he rose from the dead. He showed us it. He exemplified it when he was dead, and then he wasn't dead. And you try to describe that someone, just say, I can't really describe it. It's just death and life. It's so different. It's from darkness of the grave to the light of life. And Paul says, now walk in that life. That's how we're supposed to walk. Never again by our own efforts, our own performance of this law. Only in faith in the power of Jesus, that's walking in the light. Leaving behind our own resources. That's the law. How good can I do? How hard can I try to not lie and not steal, not cheat, and be a good person? How hard can I try? Stop that. Leave it. That's darkness. Walk in the light, just saying, it doesn't matter how hard I try. Jesus rose from the dead, and I trust him. I believe in him. I believe that life is going to be given to me. I'm going to stay close to him. Never by trusting in the way we see the world, but looking in his word to see how God reveals the word to the world to us. He is the source. He's like the socket that you plug a light bulb into. Without the socket, with the electricity hooked up to it, the light bulb is just a worthless piece of glass and metal. And that's how we are when we're not plugged into the socket of Jesus Christ. Walking in the light is staying plugged into that socket of God's grace. Not living by our own efforts, but by God's grace. Never going back to that old way, the darkness, Paul says, The way that says, I think I can figure this out. Or if I just try a little bit harder. Or God is really going to like what I do this time. All those things, they seem good, don't they? If someone came to you, I want to try so hard to please God. You'd be like, all right, bro, cool. But in reality, they're walking in darkness. Because they're walking in their own resources. They're walking in their own way. They're like me in the, <laughs> in the dark. Trying to get to the bathroom and banging my nose on the door because it was closed. Remember that about two months ago? I banged my face, my nose, right on the door. I think it was me. Was it me or was it you? It was in the middle of the night, so I can't remember. I was sleepy, but I remember one of us banged our, our nose. That's what we do when we are saying, what can I do to fix this? What can I do to perform, to please God? What can I do? My relationship with him is based on something else. Okay, so I'm getting it here. I'm supposed to take the Ten Commandments and set them aside when relating to God. My relationship with him is based on faith, so I'm going to just trust him. I got it. But here's the big question. Here's where it all kind of falls apart for me. How do I then do the right things? Do they matter? How do I know what to do? How do I manufacture the products from my life that God wants to see? 
You don't. You don't. Instead of looking at your life like a factory, I challenge you, and I've said this before, but it's so important. I challenge you to look at your life like a garden and not a factory. Paul, he instructs us to look at our life like a garden and not a factory. What's the difference between a garden and a factory? Well, a factory, it's a picture of our flesh, our efforts, this dark way that we can walk. A factory is, is, is all about efforts and grinding and you hear banging and you hear horns and whistles and hammers and you have fire and it's all based on efforts and you're bending the steel and metal or plastic or whatever you have to create something. And what comes out is a plastic fruit and they aren't very yummy. But a garden is completely different. Just think you're driving down the road on the left is a garden, and on the right is a factory. What's the difference in the sounds that you hear? The garden is just peace. The garden is just hanging out, just abiding. Sometimes there's a storm, but the garden just is like, whatever. In the factory, it's efforts, and they're, they're bringing in resources, and they're burning up those resources. And it's trying, and oh, I want to try to please God, and I want to do what's right, so I'm going to bang it out. I'm going to get up, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to just, ah, oh, try, 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 try. And over here in the garden, you never, ever, ever are driving by and you see a tree squeezing out an apple, giving birth to an apple. I just, I can't even picture it. You can't picture it going, oh! We know that doesn't work. That's not how the world works. It just grows. It just produces fruit. Why? Because it's a tree. It's a fruit tree. And it was hanging out with the trunk of the tree. And that's how it works. Paul says here, and we're going to see in the next verse, verse 10, or verse 9 verse 10, that walking in the light or following Jesus, trusting his grace, will naturally produce the fruit in your life. All goodness, all righteousness, all truth. Let's read that verse. It says, walk as children of their light, for verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, all righteousness, and truth. All goodness, all righteousness, all truth. So that's a pretty amazing deal. For thousands of years, people desired to be good. People desired to be righteous. People desired to have truth. They tried really hard. In fact, they tried way harder than any of us have ever thought of trying. The Jews wake up, woke up in the morning, and from the moment they woke up, to the, it was efforts, and it was trying to keep the law, and it was all these 613 laws and rules. They, they tried and tried and tried. They tried so hard. I really give it to them. They tried. And everything they were trying to get is freely given to you and me. And not just in standing or in theory, but in practical, everyday fruitfulness. All they produced was these plastic bananas. 
And if you've ever accidentally bitten one of those, they don't satisfy you like a real fruit does. It's an amazing deal. Practical, everyday Christ-likeness. And I know we all want it. So in verse 10, he says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So you just walk in this light. You walk with Jesus. You spend time with him. You like a, a garden. And you'll find out, he says, what's acceptable to the Lord. Well, I thought we already had what was acceptable to the Lord. I thought we had the Ten Commandments and the whole Old Testament. Don't those explain to us God's heart? Yes, they do. Very briefly. But do you think an eternal, infinite God can be explained in ten rules? No, he's so much deeper. They don't even come close to explaining all that's in God's heart. All that he wants from you and for you. Not from you, for you. All that pleases him. All that makes him excited. Matthew 5 illustrates this for us, and I'll just reference it. Jesus, he comes along and he says, You've heard it said in the law, don't steal. But I say to you, and he goes on to expound on it. You've heard it said, don't lie. But I say to you, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. But I say, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, and he, he gives a deeper meaning, a deeper understanding. Why? Because he could, because he was God. And he said, let me tell you what I meant by that. It was an intensifying of the law. He made it deeper. And our verse here says, when you walk in the light... You'll find out what's acceptable to the Lord. You're going to go deeper than what the law says. By walking with Jesus in his grace, it gives us the ability to know the deep things of God, the things he could only tell us through a spiritual connection, a friendship-level thing. Before, here's my list of rules. You guys are my servants. But now, here's my Holy Spirit. Walk in my light, and I'll share with you everything that I feel. It's what, a, it's what a relationship can look like. We can feel his heart when his heart breaks. We can feel the joy when he's overjoyed when someone comes to know the Lord. We can feel that on a spiritual level. When we sin, we can feel how it breaks his heart, and then we can have the joy again when we repent and have that forgiveness and restoration. This is all spiritual level things, stuff that they did not know and could not know before Jesus came. But we have full access to. Because the law was only a foreshadow of what we get in fullness when we walk in the light, when we walk in Jesus. It's amazing. Look at verse 11. He says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things are exposed and are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, that we don't have to try to figure out how to defeat sin in our lives. You don't have to try to figure it out. You don't have to try to figure out what pleases the Lord. We just walk in the light, 
and every one of our deeds will become clearly illuminated. To us, we'll know. When we walk in the light, following Jesus, trusting in his power and in his grace, relying upon his resources, we won't be able to stop the light and the life that he's giving to us. Have you ever seen a fruit tree try to stop producing fruit? No, they quite enjoy it. I have a tree in my backyard. It produces these little things, and I don't know what they are, but they're a fruit. They don't taste very good, but that's not part of the reference. But it has literally millions of these things, all, all, and they fall on my ground, and they get all over my yard, and they don't degrade very fast because they're hard like crab apple things. But there's, it just loves to produce these things. And it's got, like, every branch has, like, a hundred of them. And they're all over the place. You don't have one branch just rebelling, saying, no, I'm not going to let my fruit out. It doesn't happen. Because we can't stop it. When we're walking with Jesus, when we're connected to him like that branch, man, you're just going to produce fruit. Ah, oh, but walking was so hard. Well, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, spoke and said to them, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Have, he shall have the light of life. This light is easily available to every single one of us. And there's no excuse for not walking in light because it's just following Jesus. It's just following Jesus. Keeping our eyes on him following him. I know that we get into some pickles. Sometimes sin can seem like an impossible challenge to overcome. And we say, I, I see this and I can't get over it. I don't know what to do. But what Paul and John are saying to us is this. You don't have to figure it out. So you're addicted to cigarettes. I'm not going to tell you how to stop that. There's not a step, 12-step program. There's not a 10-step program. There's nothing except Jesus. Just walk in him, and I'm telling you, magically, like some sort of magic spell, you'll be free. I don't understand it. But Paul tries to explain it to us, saying it's just light, and it will make it manifest. The light will make the darkness flee. You don't walk into a room, turn on the light switch, and then say, now you darkness, get out of here. You never say that. Why? Because darkness just is cowardly when it comes to the light. Their darkness just flees. And so we come in, we, we just keep our eyes on Jesus. We turn on that light switch, we plug into the outlet, whatever illustration you want to use. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We take then our struggles and our situations in life to Jesus. We don't try to hide them from him. This is the thing. We all have sin. We all have struggles. Some of us are very private about those things. And it's doing us no good. It's doing me no good. In Revelation 19, 12, it says his eyes were like a flame of fire. And in 1 Corinthians 3.13, it says, 
Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. And that word day is capitalized because it's speaking of the Lord himself. His day, his, his light, his, he's like the sun burning away anything that gets close to it. Because it says it will be revealed by fire, and that fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So, when we have an issue, when we have a sin, when we have an addiction, when we have something, anything that we know is darkness, because we've been reading the Bible and, and it's been revealed to us. We've been, we flipped on the light switch and we saw some darkness over here hanging out. And I said, I don't want to walk in that. I don't want to do that. So what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You hold it out in front of you. And you walk towards his burning and glorious light and let the heat of that, let the glory of it, let the fire of his presence burn whatever it is away. There's your 12-step program. You got an addiction, you got a problem, take it to the fire and let it be burned out. Let it be burned away. Let not even sin become an opportunity to get away from Jesus. Let sin be your opportunity to have fellowship with Jesus. Oh, but Jesus doesn't want to be with me. I just bust me. I'm just blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. Take it to him. Run to him with it. Take every sin to Jesus. Is Jesus scared of your sin? Is he intimidated by your sin? No. He beats sin with a big, ugly stick. He's good at it. He is not afraid of sin. He has conquered sin. And so we take our sin to him. Don't let sin be something that drives you away from him, but towards him. It really is all about what you fellowship with. Fellowship is just a fancy church word for what you hang out with or what you, who your closest friends are, who, who, where your intimacy and relationships lies. And Paul says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but just take your sins to Jesus, ask for his power and his grace, and then wait upon him. Spend time in the word, pray and fellowship with Jesus, pray, and then repent, and then walk in the light. Don't spend any time, he says, covering up your sin. Come right out and repent. Repent is just a fancy word that means agreeing with God about it. Or you could say, seeing your sin the same way that God sees it. Or even letting his light make all things manifest, as he says in these verses. It's all the same thing. Let fellowship with God be the most important thing to you. Remember back in our Psalm, Psalm 27, he says, you're my light and my salvation. And then later down he says, you're, you said, seek my face. And I said, I'm going to seek your face. I care about my relationship with you. I'm going to talk with you. It's all about you and me, God. And then he gets to the end and he said, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to bring you all these things, my enemies and all that stuff, everything that's messed up about my life. I bring it to you. I seek your face and then I just wait. I wait. And becomes the most important thing. Just like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. Or if you've watched the VeggieTales, Rakshak and Benny. Way easier to remember. Love those guys. Well, when the giant pickle, I mean, when Nebuchadnezzar said, 
y'all have to, you know, y'all have to worship me and bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to bow down. We're, we care about our relationship with the Lord. He's our light and our salvation. I have enemies, and I'm taking that to you, God. And they just waited upon the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, I hate you. I'm going to burn you. And he threw them in the fire. And was it comfortable? No, I'm sure they had fear. I'm sure they were worried about it. But God saved them. You guys know that they were not burned by the fire. But they were in there. They were, they were thrown in and they were all bound up. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, aha, I got you now. But God's like, no. Relationship with me is a million times more important than being right. They could have just been right. They could have just obeyed and, and done what was easy. But no, they cared more about their relationship with God than what other people thought about them. They didn't hide it. They said, I'm, I'm following Jesus. Ah, but you're all bound up. What are you going to do about that? You have an addiction to this. You have a problem with that sin. And they said, yeah, I don't care. I, I don't care that I'm bound up because I care more about my relationship with God. And so what happens? They get thrown in the fire. God saves them. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he said, didn't I throw three people in there? I didn't do my East LA accent right there. I usually, when I'm quoting some of the Bible, I usually put a L.A. accent for some reason, but I didn't do it that time. So he said, well, didn't I throw three people in there? But I see four. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. And so it was in that fire, it was in that trial, that what happens? Their ropes were burned away, and they got to have fellowship with Jesus. They got to care, they got to spend time with the one they cared about. They were still in the fire, but they weren't affected by the fire. The only thing that was affected was what was binding them. So we shouldn't be afraid of fellowship with God, although fellowship with God might get you thrown in a fire. It's scary, but we shouldn't be afraid of his glorious light that behaves a lot like that fire sometimes. Because it isn't going to burn you. It's only going to burn those things, the sin, the, the, the ropes that were binding you. The things that you were stuck with. The things you were frustrated by. Those areas in your life where you said, I wish I had fruit. But we fear intimacy with God. I know it's scary. I know it might be the most terrifying prospect in your life to take your dirty laundry to Jesus. Because he's Jesus. I don't want him to see my stains. I don't want him to see how dirty my clothes are. But Jesus is just saying, please, do it. Come to me with all your dirty laundry. And I will give you freedom and joy. I will fix it. I promise. There are four pastors that would, that would meet once every little while. And during their conversation, one preacher said, our people have come to us and they pour out their hearts and they confess certain sins and needs. And I think we should do the same. Confession is good for the soul. 
So they all agreed, and one by one, they began to confess things. One said, I like to go to the movies and sneak off when I'm away from church to go see movies. The second confessed he liked to smoke cigars and drink a little whiskey every now and then. And the third confessed he liked to play cards. And when it came to the fourth one, he wouldn't confess. And they said, what's your, what's your secret vice? Why won't you confess? We all did it. And finally he said, well, it's gossiping. And can, can hardly wait to get out of here. But that's not what going to Jesus is like. You don't have to worry about him gossiping. Bringing to the light does not mean he exposes your life to everyone in the world and says, look how dirty this person is. They are lame. They have lust and they have all these things. They're just, I can't even be with them. That's not how Jesus treats you. It's okay to take your dirty laundry to Jesus because we see in the book of Revelation that everyone in his presence is clothed and given perfectly white robes. He fixes it. He fixes it. He takes care of it. The embarrassment that we feel is just our pride. Saying, I should have been better. Embarrassment keeps us from fellowshipping with, the, with God. And it keeps us fellowshipping with darkness. It keeps us in a cycle of failure. Embarrassment is not what God has for you. God has freedom for you. When we sin, that's what's expected of you. You're a sinner. I am too. God doesn't want you to be something else on your own. He wants to transform you and he wants to produce fruit in your life, but he can't do it if you're worried about your sin. If you're worried about it in a way that's keeping you from him. He says, come to me, please. I have a robe right here ready. Give me your dirty laundry. Bring it to me. I'm the only one that can undress you and give you a new white robe. There's so much freedom in someone's life when they just don't care what other people think. When they're just like, I'm a sinner. I'm all, I, all I care about is Jesus. I'm going to take my sin to Jesus and I'm going to bring it to him and see what he does. I don't even know what he's going to do, but I'm going to bring it to him because I love him. The embarrassment, that pride keeps us away, but humility says, oh, how I just need you, Jesus, I'm not yet free of my flesh. My sin is ever before me, and I need you so much. I need you, I need you, I need you. And God's not going to say, well, tough. He doesn't do that. That's not his character. He says, thank you for coming to me. Now, here's your white robe. Here's grace. Here's everything you need. Go walk in the light. Have freedom. That's what walking the light is. Coming to Jesus with every need, every sin, every situation, taking it to him and talking with him about it, presenting it before him, confessing sin to him, keeping your eyes fixed on him and on fellowship with him and on the resources. Keep asking, asking, asking for his resources to have victory in your life. It really is all about fellowship with him. Last week, walking in love, remembering it's all about his love, not about you and your love. His love. Not what you think love is, just keeping it on him 
and today, his light, bringing everything to him, walking with him. The old covenant was all about performance. The new is all about relationship. It's all about fellowship with him. We've referenced this a couple times, but Jesus said it's like a tree, a vine. He is the trunk and we are the branches. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless he abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This isn't a sometimes thing. This isn't a, I'll try my best for the first half of the day and then I'll come to you, Jesus, when I'm tired and worn out and just give up. That's not what he desires. He desires every moment of every day, just abide with me, trust me, bring it all to me. Even if you don't think you need me, you do. Bring it to me. Walking in the light and bearing fruit are just one and the same. And they all happen by just abiding with Jesus, walking with him in the good times and in bad. When you succeed, when you fail, when you succeed, you acknowledge his grace. When you fail, you bring it to him and ask for more grace. That's how it all works. It's all about relationship, bringing things to him and waiting upon him. We'll read a couple more of these verses, just selected parts of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So whom shall I fear? What shall I fear? Am I going to fear bringing him my laundry? Am I going to fear what my sin does to my relationship with God? No. I'm not going to fear. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to go to him. He's the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Or of what sin shall I be afraid? He's not going to expose me. He's not going to lay me out. He's not going to make me embarrassed. Hear, O Lord, when I cry, he says in verse 7, with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. And when you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face, Lord, I will seek. I will seek your face. But I got all these sins. I got all these problems. God said, bring them to me. Bring them to me and seek my face. And see what happens. Verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. I say, wait on the Lord. So I hope you never, ever come to church and you hear me say, Try harder. Fix your sin. Produce more fruit. We need some plastic bananas up in here. I hope you never, ever get that message. I hope the only message you ever get at White Flag and at any church you go to is seek my face, God says. Come, bring it to him. That's what walking in the light is. And... and Everything else is darkness. Paul says, have no fellowship with those unfruitful works of darkness. They're unfruitful. They don't work. They don't produce fruit. Your efforts, they don't work. Sorry. Neither do mine. That's why Jesus had to die. And that's why he gave a new life. And that's why it's available to you and me today. Well, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you would all stand with me as we come to the Lord and surrender. God, we probably have run many directions that were not in your light. We probably have tried to 
deal with our own sin or we've been embarrassed to come to you, there's probably a lot of that going around. I know in my life, God, it, there is a, just an innate fear that somehow you're going to reject me. Although your word tells me, your promises say, I will not reject you. Seek my face. God, so many times I don't. And God, I, I run to your light. I hold out my whole life in my hands before you. And God, it, it may hurt, it may be brutal at the beginning, but Lord, it's only bringing me freedom. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were freed and they had fellowship with you. They knew they were walking with you. So please, encourage us to draw near to you. Encourage us to be found just waiting at your table. And if you have lived this far in your life and you have never once turned to the Lord and asked for his grace to be saved and to receive this new life, then I encourage you today to make that decision that you're going to follow him, that you're going to seek him, you're going to bring everything to him, and you're going to stop trying to do it on your own. That this is the day that you're going to say, I surrender to what he has done on the cross. I surrender my whole life. And I invite you to pray with me right now. To not let a moment go by and say, Jesus, I believe you were my sacrifice when you died on the cross. That you were my substitute, which should have been my death you took. And the new life that you offer, Lord, I receive by faith. I receive what you have done for me. And God, I will not turn away from you. And God, when I do trip and when I fall and when I fail and when my flesh rebels against you, God, I will turn back to you in repentance. But Lord, my salvation will be only because of faith, only because I trust in you. In Jesus' name we all pray, amen.